This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome back to another edition of the Equalizer podcast. My name is Rachel Kruger. I'm joined today with Jeff Kasouf. We are here and we're talking about U.S. Women's National Team news for the first time in what feels like, honestly, 12 years, but it's only been about seven months. Um, the news is that there's going to be a camp held in Colorado from October 18th through the 28th. Pretty much right when the NWSL Fall Series ends, there are 27 players being called into Vladko Andonovsky's camp. Um, and the big news of it all is Katarina Macario is added on the roster. She is going to be joining up with the team. Um, Jeff, you've got all the details on it. You were on the call with Vladko. What can you tell us? Yeah, I mean, obviously big news. Uh, Katarina Macario, a player who's uh, attracted a lot of attention, I would say, for several years now. She, you know, born in Brazil, came to the U.S. roughly 10 years ago, um, has talked, you know, basically ever since then that, you know, she came to the U.S. with the dream of playing professionally, playing for the United States national team. And the same day she gets announced as a call-up um, publicly, she also obtained citizenship. She had her, her interview on uh, uh, on the same day on, on Thursday. So, you know, Obviously, this is going to be a day that she remembers there, October 8th. Um, and it's something that, you know, this was, I mean, this was building toward this. She's a, a player who um, I think, and I'll be the guy to plug this all the time. Claire Watkins, our, one of our writers, did a, a phenomenal job of kind of summing up why there's so much hype around Macario and, and some of the things she's done in college and already, you know, against professional teams in preseason tournaments and whatnot. And um, just a, a generational type of attacker who has the pure skill, which, you know, we sometimes see, and maybe we see athleticism anyway at, at the college level, but also has the, you know, the, the wherewithal and the, the, the sort of soccer IQ um, to, to be somebody that, you know, a lot of people think could be the, you know, the, the player at an attacking mid position, um, you know, or attacking position that, you know, is is someone for the U.S. to build around for the next decade to come or more. So, um, you know, big news, obviously, that she was getting called into camp. And, and initially, um, certainly U.S. soccer and Vlaka Anonofsky said in the conference call on Friday, you know, U.S. soccer and, and Tom King, who does a lot behind the scenes, I don't think people realize, um, you know, the Federation being instrumental in pushing along her citizenship, um, whatever that means exactly. I mean, it's certainly a long process. And I think there was an understanding it might have taken a little longer and maybe some surprise that it happened this quickly. But, um, you know, making that call to bring her into camp because there weren't any games anyway 
and then getting that news, you know, she got that news personally, individually on the same day the roster gets announced. Um, it's, it's big news for her. It's big news for the U S and, you know, as was indicated on this Friday conference call, uh, I mean, we've, we've got to see who knows what the next nine months or so bring, but, um, in theory, a few more things need to happen, you know, but they're a little bit more of the, uh, like this was the big thing, the citizenship, the rest of it is, is more the, you know, going through the motions of the passport and the FIFA clearance. Um, in theory, she would be available and eligible for the United States to play in an Olympics, assuming, you know, these delayed Olympics happen and the, the U S at large is allowed in them. Yeah, I think obviously that's huge news and it's even more exciting because, I mean, for me, I love seeing these younger collegiate players coming into the camp. I think it's great to see kind of that next generation coming about. And there's also uh, Mia Fischel out of UCLA who is coming in. Uh, Naomi Gurma of Stanford is coming in. So really cool to see these younger players. But yeah, I mean, imagine getting a national team call up to the U.S. Women's National Team and finding out, oh, hey, your citizenship got accepted. Um, that's a that's a pretty good day, if you ask me, for sure. So, I'm, yeah, Claire did a great piece on um, on Macario. So if you haven't read it, people, go check it out. Um, but exciting to see her in camp for sure. But, Jeff, any other names that really stand out at camp for you? Yeah, and, I, you know, I'd also say just, um, I mean, people probably think we're, we're harping on the, the Macario news a bit, but certainly it's, you know, the news of the hour and the, the day and the week. And um, especially when we haven't had much of anything other than the delayed Olympics to talk about for the U S women's national team in in over half a year now. But, um, you know, I, I think too, you talk about how incredible that is. And, and you think about, you know, um, being somebody who, you know, dreamt this as a little girl made the move, uh, you know, a family move, a big move for the family really to, to come to a different country and, and take the the leap of faith. And then, you know, you have that kind of all come together at once like that. Um, I think just on a, on a human level, obviously, you know, pretty incredible. So, um, you know, I think it's something we'll be talking about plenty more to come and especially, you know, as some decisions have to be made in the short term and certainly long term, I think somebody who's, uh, we're going to be talking about a lot, but, um, you know, beyond that, I think you look at, uh, players rewarded for their NWSL campaigns this this uh, year in the abbreviated year it was with Challenge Cup and Fall Series. You know, Christy Mewis, Shea Groom, Jump Out. I mean, Houston Dash have been kind of the story of the year in the NWSL for, for on the field anyway. And I think Groom and Mewis, you know, central to that success. And, you know, some good stories there. Obviously, players who played for Andonofsky in, in the club setting, um, players um, certainly – you know, uh, Mewis in particular, who was at the senior level many years ago. She did the ID camp last year, but, you know, back with the senior team and, you know, first time in six years, traded around the league. Um, so a big moment for her. Um, I think those are, you know, some of the bigger, you know, names and additions. I'm happy to see Aubrey Bledsoe there, I think, is, a you know, one of the, I'd say, the better goalkeepers in the league who hasn't necessarily been in the mix. Um, so, so they jump out and, you know, you have some, some other returns, uh, Morgan Gautreau back in the mix. And then obviously, you know, I, I'm sure we'll talk about is, is um, some omissions for one reason or another, and, and some of them pandemic, some of them injury um, or pandemic related. But um, yeah, I mean, I think, look, Mewis, Mewis and Groom are two big ones. 
Uh, you stole my answer because I love Aubrey Bledsoe, and I think that she is probably one of the most underrated goalkeepers in the NWSL. And it's kind of crazy to say that because she does win awards and she does get recognition, but she doesn't. I don't think she gets that recognition um, at the national team level. And I hope that you know maybe sooner rather than later she could be fighting for that starting spot. I think that's still very much. Um, it's very much a competition no matter what. And I think that she is very capable of, you know, going in and fighting for that. Obviously, Alyssa Nair is a great goalkeeper and that's nothing against her at all. But I think that Aubrey Bledsoe is just so good and she's always been consistent for the spirit. So I'm really excited to see her in camp. There are six Remember, we're not going to go through all 27 players. We're going to add that in the show notes so you guys will be able to um, check that out and see all the players that are on the roster. But there are six members of the Chicago Red Stars, and I think the player I'm most excited for is Sarah Gordon. She was part of that ID camp, and then, Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, but she got called in for another camp after that or, or something, but she didn't. Um, she didn't make any appearances yet for the national team. So hoping that... You know, somewhere, obviously, there's no games at this camp, so hoping somewhere in the future Sarah Gordon can get a cap under her belt and then grow that into um, into something more. Another player I did forget about, too, when talking about these college players, uh, Jalen Howell from Florida State got called in, so very familiar with her because of the ACC. And I was hoping that maybe that would take her out of the game against the University of Pittsburgh, but it's not. So she lives to, you know take on the Panthers another day. Um, um, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be a cap, obviously, but I would love to, I've been saying this, I would love to see an inter-squad scrimmage that, I mean, it's certainly going to happen, but let's let's broadcast it. Let's do it, U.S. soccer. No more, you know, this is this is the year that we we pull the veil off of things. Um, so let's let's see uh, the 11 v. 11 scrimmage. And, and uh, even if you don't want to show us the, the real one, quote unquote, I'd love to see, you know, the uh, the one made for TV that we could, we could stream and watch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, they're gonna they're there for ten days. There's no international games. They're they're going to play, you know, eleven v eleven full sided multiple times. So, would love to see one of them in some capacity in a year that we otherwise you know aren't seeing much of anything. So, um, and I would just add to our conversation too, you know, again a bit of a name at this point, I guess, but Sophia Smith um, back in the national team picture. She's had some injuries this year and. You know, similarly, also out of Stanford um, and, and now pro, obviously, but another player that a lot of people, you know, foresee as as a future player to build around. I know Vlaco's very high on. Um, so, you know, I think it's going to be, you know, exciting to see her and, and, you know, well, again, I guess hopefully see her in, in another reason to uh, plug my my desire to see a, a inter-squad scrimmage. But um, I'll, I'll be excited to see her, you know, back in a U.S jersey in an actual match which whether that's february or not as hoped by the federation we'll see well i get to plug in my um my love for the team that i get to cover um bethany balser of ol rain got called and i'm very excited about that i think it's well deserved and obviously she's that cinderella story coming from that naia school and you know being the first player in the nwsl to come from an naia school so to see her make it to the national team level obviously um played under Vladko Andonovsky last year. And then um, I think a name that kind of got lost in the shuffle here, at least for me, is Ashley Hatch. So I'm excited to see her back in camp with the United States. 
and hope that builds into maybe future call-ups. But um, there are 27 players here. There are some players that, like you said, Jeff, were left off, whether it was injury-related or, um, you know, just for personal reasons, opting out, whatever. Um, are there any surprise omissions for you? I don't think any were surprises um, per se. I mean, certainly from the group, you know, we knew we knew ahead of time and, you know, our, our Equalizer Extra folks certainly knew from our, our scoops that um, no European players were going in. That wasn't a surprise because quarantine and, and whatnot that uh, would have made it totally preventative for them to, to have to travel back and forth. Um, so that's, you know, the five players in England, Emily Sonnets in, in Sweden, um, the, you know, we did see a little bit of Mal Pugh in this fall series. And so, you know, there, there was injuries listed for Pugh and, and Carly Lloyd, who we haven't seen. Um, and then injury concerns for, for, uh, Megan Rapino, who, um, go expanded a little bit on that on the call. Not, not too much, but just that she was, that, that Rapino was, um, had some concerns, I think, basically about her, her fitness level, which, you know, she hasn't been, well, I don't know what she's been doing for training, but, you know, we've seen her in the wobble with, with the WNBA and, um, obviously hasn't participated in, in Challenge Cup or Fall Series. So, um, I don't know that any of those were a surprise. I mean, I think if you're, you know, maybe one name that's, that's missing, um, that's usually a couple of names that are usually in the mix there, Jessica McDonald, who, um, you know, Andonofsky said on the call, the conference call that, you know, they just, they've seen a lot of her and wanted to see some, some others in that position. And then, um, Ali Long, not, not there who, um, you know, similarly, um, I don't think that was addressed on the call directly that, that she's not there, but, um, you know, probably stands out as, as, you know, maybe a player that's, that's missing. Yeah, I think so. I, I, like you said, I think some of the players that didn't, you know, whether they're opting out or not, not getting called in, that's, that's obviously their, their call. They can opt out, totally respect that and, and all that, but I'm not surprised to see players that actually are playing, um, getting those call up and just like different players for Vlasko Andonovsky to look at like Shea Groom and like, um, Jalen Howell. I think those are good names for him to kind of bring in. And, you know, he, I, I think Vlaco knows what Megan Rapino can do. He knows what Jess McDonald can do. It's now, this is almost for me, like another mini ID camp for him. I don't know if you would agree with that or not, but I think just with like, obviously how crazy this year is and how different everything is. I think this is like ID camp 2.0 and also like check-in camp just to see how everyone's doing in a way. Yeah, it's a mixed camp. I mean, certainly the, you know, with the amount of experience that's in that, that, uh, group of five, really group of six in Europe that, um, it opens up, you know, it, it removes a significant veteran sort of presence and maybe opens up some spots on that roster, the training camp roster that is for, you know, some younger players. So I think, I mean, I'm curious to see, you know, this is a part evaluation camp, part check-in, like you said. I mean, that's basically what, what Andonofsky said publicly here. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, who, who among this group and maybe that's on the outside, quote unquote, or pretty new, you know, are they making enough of an impression to, to really start getting some more looks in the spring and, you know, potentially uh, push for an Olympic spot, which I think is, you know, I think there's maybe a couple of spots that are up for grabs there, but an 18 player roster is, is very difficult to crack from, you know, starting from zero, so to speak for some of these players. But, um, 
which would be 10 of them uncapped. But, um, you know, I, I think, I think the other important thing to note maybe is, is, uh, you know, something we can explore through the, down the line here and, and don't have to go into depth at the moment, but you mentioned Balser. Um, we've talked about groom and, and, you know, Mewis and, um, a lot of these players, you know, have come through one of Ananovsky's NWSL teams or even, you know, um, a groom is a player that he worked with way before the NWSL at the youth levels. Balser's a player he kind of somewhat discovered, so, um, or at least helped, helped groom. So, um, you know, I think there's an interesting sort of tie back to some of um, Andonovsky's, you know, previous roles and, and his discovery of players and his development of players that's now playing out potentially on the international level. I think it's, yeah, I think it's one of those things that's like, Right now, nobody knows that player on the U.S. women's national team staff than Vlako Andonovsky. Like he, like you said, he's known Shea Groom for so long. He's known Bethany Balser and kind of discovered her. So it's like he is, well, first off, he's the guy in charge. So he's going to be calling him in. And also, I think he's, it's, it's very little convincing that he has to do maybe with like his assistant coaches or whatnot, or even, you know, when going to, I don't know if they have to do this, but rhetorically speaking, like going to Kate Markgraf and saying like, Hey, these players, they have it, you know, they, they're cut out to do it. I want to bring them in for a look. Let's see how they do. And like, nobody knows Bethany Balser in the NWSL for then better than Vlako Andonovsky. Nobody knows Shea Groom better than Vlako Andonovsky. So I think that, it just makes sense for him to bring players that he has those ties with. And that's the benefit of having a coach that comes through the rankings of the NWSL has been a coach since in the league, since it began, he's gotten to see all of these different players and, and just, he sees them in a different way than a national team coach would see them, I guess, if that makes sense. So for him to bring them in, it's like, well, you know, he was their club coach. Now he's their national team coach, but still, you know, it, I don't know how much different that is either too. So like there's a familiarity aspect too. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Any other names that kind of, is there, is there somebody you really wanted to see get called up and then they didn't? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, Macario is obviously exciting. We talked about, I think Groom and, and Mewis were, were kind of givens. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I don't know if there's like a huge standout for wanted to call up and didn't. That's a great question. Nobody's, I mean, there, there are some center backs I like for potential, you know, um, a Sam Staub, um, you know, maybe her partner in crime there with a Paige Nielsen. I don't know that they're necessarily, you know, I don't think they're quite at the level maybe of, of cracking into this group yet. Um, I was thinking Katie Naughton too. Yeah. I mean, similarly for me, you know, I think she's done very well for Houston. I don't know that, you know, necessarily to the degree that, um, you know, she'd be, she'd be needed right away or, or cracking into this group, but th- there is going to be, you know, in every every line of the field on this team, it's an older team, you know, center back included or, you know, defensive line included, I guess. You know, there, there are a few players, um, you know, who are who are over 30 and, and probably, you know, more toward uh, the tail end of their career, certainly as, um, 
at least the delayed cycle restarts for the 2023 World Cup. So, you know, I think there's going to be opportunity, but, um, you know, at the moment, I think nobody too surprising. Well, that's all I had on my end. Do you have anything else that you want to add in regard to the roster? Any exciting tidbits from Black Coast Call today? <laughs> Um, no, I mean, I think we talked about the exciting stuff, um, which I think just in general, obviously we're talking about the U S national team, even if it's not a game, it's, uh, you know, talking about them again for the first time in a, in a very long time. So, uh, 10 day camp and lots of, of protocols, uh, which you can read online from the Federation and, you know, um, yeah, we'll see. Hopefully we can get a little bit of access there virtually. That would certainly be exciting. Come on, U.S. soccer. You heard it from us. Take off the veil. Let us see the games. Um, We will be back for segment two. We're going to talk about the National Women's Soccer League games that happened this weekend, maybe chat a little bit about some European stuff. Uh, I'll be joined by Claire Watkins, so don't miss it. What's up, everybody? Jeff Kasouf here, founder of The Equalizer. I want to make sure that you know we also have another podcast called Kickin' Back, which is interview-based. We talk to players, coaches, personalities from across women's soccer about defining moments in their career and some important things from the present day and look ahead a little bit to the future. We've had guests like Crystal Dunn, Becky Sauerbrunn, Jill Ellis, Bev Yanez, Ali Riley, Julie Foudy and Mia Hamm, so many already and many more to come. So please go ahead and check out Kicking Back Pod on any platform you find your podcast after, of course, you've finished up with this episode of the Equalizer Podcast. All right, everyone, welcome back to the second segment of the Equalizer podcast. A quick reminder to please check us out on the web by going to EqualizerSoccer.com or for premium content, you can go to EqualizerSoccer.com slash subscribe. We are rolling out content for the remainder of the NWSL Fall Series matches, and we've got some WSL and European stuff on the site as well. So find us at EqualizerSoccer.com and slash subscribe for premium content. We're on social media at Equalizer Soccer on Twitter and by search through Facebook. We're also on Instagram with the username at Equalizer underscore soccer. If you like what you hear, please rate and review the Equalizer podcast today. So segment one, Jeff and I talked about the U.S. Women's National Team. And for this segment, I have Claire Watkins joining us from Chicagoland. Um, <laughs> we're going to chat about the NWSL, but before I bring Claire, into it, let's just go over the box scores from this weekend. Friday Night Lights had the Orlando Pride and the Houston Dash, and shocker, Houston's good at soccer, and they won 2-1 to one. on Saturday afternoon. New Jersey Sky Blue hosted Chicago Red Stars. They won three to one. And then last night it was the wrap up of the Cascadia rivalry with OL Rain losing to the Portland Thorns two to one. And with that win, Portland won the Verizon Community Shield. So $25,000 is going to Mimi's Fresh Teas, their um, small business partner. So congratulations to the Portland Thorns and uh, Mimi's Fresh Teas. Um, so Claire, I guess we'll just pretty much go down the line. Houston's good at soccer. <laughs> yeah, let's let's just jump right in. Right. So this we're starting to really be in the home stretch here, right? So it's a lot of everyone's second games against each other in this pod series. Uh 
not a lot of new things happened, I think, in Houston versus Orlando. I think that Houston is obviously rolling with a clarity of purpose that they've had since the beginning of the Challenge Cup. Um, and Orlando is in deep evaluation right now. So they are really stretching to find who is on the bubble of their roster, who might be worth bringing into training camp next year. They are in a different evaluation process than the Dash, who kind of know exactly who they are and who they want playing for them. So um, I think we saw that play out. I think, you know, Christy Mewis, her work rate has been exceptional all year, and I think they gave her a lot of space behind their back line <laughs> in Orlando, and she she used it. And so, um, like, their first goal was just a pure Mewis hustle play. Like, that ball could have gone out of bounds, but she tracked it down, sent it into Shea Groom for that, for that header. Um, but then I also want to say, you know, for Orlando, I think that it was huge probably emotionally for Sydney LaRue to get on the board. So I think there were positives in that game for both teams, um, but nothing world shattering, I don't think. No, I think really the not not to say that Houston winning games isn't interesting, but I think the only interesting thing for me is the fact that they had a different goalkeeper for Orlando. Brittany Wilson got some time. She um, did pretty and, well too, yeah. Yeah, she made some really good saves. And I mean it's not I mean, Houston pretty much has most of their team intact from the European exodus. Like Rachel Daly's gone, of course it's a big hole to fill, but they still have a lot of really good players and for her to you know, step up and make some really good saves against Houston is definitely, you know, applause, job well done for, for her. And I, I deserve my five seconds of yelling about Pittsburgh because of Veronica Latsko scoring because that we usually don't get talked about. Though. Like rounding the keeper is, is one thing, but the way she was able to put that away was very cool. Oh, and the cut in between the defenders was just, it was just so good. So, yeah, you know, a little bit of shout out love from my hometown. <laughs> yeah. One one thing, one final thing about about Houston that I do um, that I've noticed. And I'm just saying this because this is my you know first time talking about it on the podcast. But I have enjoyed seeing how even without Daly, because Daly had a very specific job for them in the Challenge Cup. She was kind of harassing the other team's center backs. She was a pressing forward. So she worked really hard to disrupt other teams possessions in addition to like kicking things out to the wings. And so it's been cool to see Houston um, be able to keep that rolling without her. Um, you know, you have uh, you have uh, Nichelle Prince on the right side, who it's crazy that she hasn't scored more because she's been such a facilitator for, for so many people. And then, yeah, you have Mewis on the left side. And so I think that the fact that their style of play has still found the success, even without that focal point, of daily, I do think is a real positive for them. Um, especially cause I'm sure for them, they're thinking what's happening in 2021. Are we going to be without daily for a while because of the Olympics, that sort of thing. So I think that this is a real positive for them as well to be able to um, produce without her. And it's crazy to see Nichelle Prince and Veronica Latsko. And you think how they came back from injuries last year, like they both had severe injuries and just to see them, doing so well is obviously it's great to see, but like, it's just kind of like, Oh my gosh, they they're coming off an an injury year last year. (laughs) Yeah. And that's also kind of what I was, well, we'll talk about this a little bit in the Chicago, New Jersey game as well, which is just when you're looking for reasons why it is so important that the NWSL got these games in, in terms of momentum, 
you think about a player like Michelle Prince. If there had been no NWSL games this year, she would have wouldn't have had the ability to work her way back in and get into the form that she's in right now. Um, you look at Christy Mewis and what she's been able to do in 2020. You look at Sydney LaRue, who scored her first goal after um, having her second child. Those kinds of things, when you think about the timeline of, timeline of an athlete's career, being able to, even if it's small stuff sprinkled in throughout 2020, being able to do that and then build on it for 2021 is going to make the, the level of play in 2021 so much stronger than it would have been if there had been no games this year. Yeah, for sure. Good stuff. Um, I mean, that's pretty much all I have to say about the, the Houston Dash Orlando Pride game. So, um, Houston is, is done with the fall series now. Orlando has their last fall series game, um, against North Carolina on Saturday, four o'clock on, as we like to call it, big CBS. <laughs> um, so let's move on to that New Jersey Sky Blue, um, and Chicago Red Stars game. Paige Monahan scored twice in the first half. Pretty much all the action, you know, we were just talking off air how almost all that action came in the first half except for some, you know, red card craziness, which I cannot wait to get your take on <laughs> for. Um, and then Ifiana Manu scored in that first half too. And then right at the, uh, at the buzzer almost G- Morgan Gatrell scored for the Chicago Red Star. So, you know, just what were your thoughts on, on the game for just in general? Yeah, it, so that game was really interesting, actually. I got to see the first Chicago Sky Blue game in person in at SeatGeek, and this game was pretty much a complete flipped in, in version mm, of that mm-hmm. game, where in the first game, uh, Chicago let Sky Blue hold on to the ball a lot, and they were clinical on their counters, and Chicago won that game 4-1. to one. In this game, and actually Sarah Gordon, uh, Chicago Red Stars defender Sarah Gordon said this after the match, Sky Blue actually came with a great tactic. They said, okay, if you want to play that way, we're going to make you guys have the ball. So Sky Blue sat back a lot more. They made Chicago um, produce through their passing system and through their possession system, and then they struck on the counter. Um, and the other thing, I think the main thing about that is is from a Chicago standpoint, which is the lens that I look at it um, is that the troubling thing for Chicago is not actually, I think the goals against those came because they started Casey short and Tierna Davidson who hadn't played games in a really long time. Um, and Rory Dame said after the match, you know, he was like, basically, you know, they're going into us women's national team camp. We needed to get them these minutes. We knew it was going to be a little bit rough because they just haven't played that much, but you have to do it anyway. So, they set themselves up for that a little bit, especially when you're playing against Midge Purse and Ifioma Animanu. But um, the thing for Chicago that they struggled with, that is the big, it's the big project, and it's one that I'm not sure they have an answer for right now, is that they were not unable to unlock Sky Blue in that first half, especially because they like to think that their new offensive system is more of a front six than a front three. They want their midfield attacking and they want kind of a fluidity in between the wings and the center center forward position um, in kind of a big flip from obviously what they were doing last year. And that was not effective. The, the passing, they were passing around the box, they were passing laterally, they were passing back and they were not able to get in behind sky blue all that much. And that is not what Chicago wants at all. And it's what they were able to do against sky blue in that first game against them. And it's also something that they were able to stretch the spirit a little bit in their last game as well. So them not being able to succeed at that, I think is not a great ending for them for this fall. Cause I think they were trying to really build on that momentum. Um, but full credit to sky blue. I think they came with a great game plan. And I think that especially in 2020, 
we've seen counterattacking transition soccer really succeed. And so I think that that was that was great great for them as well. Our um, friend John Halloran he put out a tweet last night that I thought was really interesting. He said, I don't think it's a hyperbole to say that the Chicago Red Stars are going to come out of one of the craziest years in NWSL history with an even stronger and deeper lineup than what they started with. And I think he's totally right. I mean, like you said, it's pretty much, it was a little bit rough for Casey Short and Tierna Davidson, of course, because you need that time to gel together. But I think that Chicago is one of the deepest teams in the NWSL, Rory Dames knows how to draft. Like that guy yeah. can draft like crazy. It's, and I, it, yes, what sorry, better God. time to tinker? You know, absolutely. And and even for them too, because they have had a certain amount of injuries that they've been carrying this year. It's kind of been by necessity as well. But yeah, I mean, you look at Chicago and. For example, one really big thing that we've seen is so obviously Chicago sends Katie Naughton to Houston for Kelia Watt in this offseason, which they had depth at that position and they needed a forward. But obviously, if you're talking um, Olympics, right, uh, ostensibly, mm-hmm. you know, ostensibly you would have Tierna Davidson and, and Julie Ertz and possibly even Casey Short, Sarah Gordon's in camp. A lot of that Chicago defense is getting looks with the U.S. So they need another center back. Um Zoe Morse has turned into that person for them who they drafted out of Virginia uh, this this past year. So the fact that Morse has gotten a ton of time on the field, um, you have Bianca St. George in her first full year as a professional. Sarah uh, Lubert. Sarah Lubert, who's the big the big surprise, right? She wins a full mm-hmm. contract out of out of preseason camp and um, has been a, she's a work in progress, but she's shown some flashes of some really cool stuff. And so I think that is this Chicago's Playoffs starting 11? Maybe not. But does this set themselves up to have a very steady campaign next year? Absolutely. And I think that that is what this was all about, which I think was a little bit frustrating for fans sometimes because sometimes you're like, God, you just wish they would just go in there and win. <laughs> but <laughs> but the fact that they were able to have the success that they did while really sticking to the vision this year is impressive, and I think it will set them up for good stuff in the future. I think the the big conversation – for the uh, for the Red Stars during the Challenge Cup was the production of the forwards because there was kind of a, a lack of goals in the Challenge Cup and then I think in the fall series they just kind of were like you want goals we'll give you goals and it, it, it happened a lot and it happened fast and I think that's why uh, Kaylee Watt is one of the players that got called up in the national team camp um, I really I really like Chicago's lineup and they still have. You know, it's it's a cheat code and totally unfair that they still have Katie Johnson on the bench for them, yeah. <laughs> and they can just rotate her in. Like that's that's a cheat code. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is cool, and I think it's also underrated. It was a little bit in in the game state. You're just like, oh, whatever. But um, the goal that they did score against Sky Blue, um, a dead ball, a free kick header from Morgan Gatroff from Tierna Davidson, like that is new. They don't score on set pieces a lot, famously. Morgan Gatra scoring with her head is not something that you see a lot. And um, and you also are reminded that for a lot of this year, they didn't have Tierna Davidson to take corner kicks and to take free kicks. And, and she is probably one of their better better players for that between her, Bernardo and McCaskill. So um, there are bits and pieces of things. I think Gatra has been fabulous uh, for Chicago this year. I think that she's had a freedom as more of an attacking eight style player. Um, I think a lot of U.S. women's national team fans know her as famously a very effective six uh, in the 2015 World Cup, but she is great when she has a little bit more room to breathe. 
Um, but I also I want to talk about Sky Blue though because they did win this game very handily, and I think that for sure we we, um, we saw Sky Blue has some pieces that they still need to fill. I think if they want to consistently compete for the top four during a regular league season, I think that they need some speed specifically on their back line, um, and they maybe need one or more one more piece in the midfield. Um, but their top line is so fun and you have someone like Mitch Purse who is finally able to get some room. And I think having her go one-on-one on people on the wings and get in behind and send hard, the, the her crosses were great too. Those were like hard balls that she sent in and she beat Nair on that first assist, which was pretty mm-hmm. impressive. And that gave, you know, Monaghan an easy tap in. And I think that that kind of stuff that is working, it's not only, effective but it's so fun to watch and it turns them into such a lovable team to root for um, and I think that that's great we, we talk a lot about the narrative of Sky Blue being on the upswing but when it really shows up on the field it's it's fabulous it's so fun to watch and that's another team that has had so many injuries last year that to see players like Mandy Freeman come back it's great um Obviously, they're going to get a piece back in 2021 with Caprice Didasco coming back from an ACL injury. Um, I love Anamanu on this team, too. I think with Portland, she, you know, it worked out for a bit, and then there were some players that, you know, Simone Charlie that kind of came up, and they that became Mark Parsons' kind of go-to person. And, you know, Anamanu just needed a new environment, and I think I think she fits with Sky Blue. I think she fits with Freya Coom and I love the connection between her and, and Midge Purse and I can't wait to see uh Sky Blue get a healthy McCall Zerboni back too so she can also get up there and feed balls into Anamanu. Yeah, I really I do I feel very strongly that Midge Purse and Ifioma Animanu were like meant to play club soccer together. <laughs> they well they both they both moved over they both both moved over to Portland from the Breakers dispersal draft mm-hmm. in twenty eighteen. And they got you know, they got some time and, and and then Purse was a little bit more of a rising star. Animanu got, you know, sent out to the rain and then found her way back to Sky Blue. But those two are close friends. Um they live together in Portland. I think they're living together in New Jersey as well. And I think you can see that when they play together. And so I think that For that sure. partnership is so cool. Yeah, I think it's I mean, Animanu to me is one of the most underrated players in um the NWSL. And granted, there's so much talent that, you know, there's obviously going to be people that are more quote-unquote popular. Um, I don't know if you caught this, but our friend Jen Cooper, um, our the, the stat lady, as everyone likes to call her, she had pointed out to me that Becky Tweed, one of the assistant coaches, actually dressed for the game. Um, <laughs> so Jennifer Cujo was out with uh, that ridiculous yellow card accumulation. It's like, what, two yellow cards or something like that? Yeah, it's a two-strike um, rule. It's messed up. <laughs> For the fall series, come on now. Um, but uh, Cujo was out and Becky Tweed got it. I didn't even notice it until the game was over, but it reminded me of um, Nadine Ongerer with Portland. And, like, at the, at what point do you just say, screw it, throw her in? Well, the <laughs> roster rules for the fall series are continuously hilarious to me. I think Orlando <laughs> didn't actually have a second keeper in their 18 for their game against Houston. They just didn't have one. Um yeah, so, or, like, this week, I didn't know this was possible, Chicago added someone to their roster right before they added uh, 2020 draft pick Ella, Ella Stevens to their traveling roster right before their last game of the fall series, and I was like, oh, so we're really just making stuff up now. Um, but, yeah, that's definitely the vibe. It's definitely, like, we're going with what we have, 
and let's hope it works. <laughs> we, we'll put everyone in bubble wrap just as long as they can still run. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, so the last game of the evening, this one, um, a single tear comes down my face um, for this scoreline. Um, the Cascadia rivalry in the really the only like regional rivalry, I guess, in the NWSL. Christine Sinclair buried two penalty kicks, which were um, both given up by Amber Brooks uh, against OL Reign. And then Amber Brooks actually um, scored right at the beginning of the second half. It, Shirley Cruz hit like a monster ball. And Claire, I don't know if you have experienced my Costa Rican love yet, but I love, I don't know why. I just love everything Costa Rican. So when Shirley Cruz took down um, Rocky Rodriguez in the first half, everyone was like, oh, come on, she can't. I was like, she was just giving her a hug. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But Shirley Cruz hit like a monster ball and then Amber Brooks just like tapped it in. And I think it still would have been a goal if she wasn't there, but either way, Amber Brooks got the goal. Um, We talked a little bit off air that the, penalties weren't really replayed that well um I know Fareed Benstidi said that he was like I need to I need to watch it because I don't know what to say about it um so I I mean I don't know (laughs) I think I think um I think losing a game 2-1 to two penalties is going to be rough no matter what um it's been interesting this this fall series and even yeah it's been interesting particularly in this fall series where when we actually glossed over that that red card moment in the Chicago game, where we're having some, it feels like some overcorrection from refs a little bit, or it, and it's not necessarily bad. I think the NWSL has a reputation as being overly physical, and I do think some of that is unnecessary if it was refed a little bit tighter. But um, you have to be sure with those decisions, right? We, I think, I I don't know, is that the first red card decision we've ever seen in the NWSL? I don't think I've ever seen that before having a red card downgraded to a yellow like they did with Tierney Davidson. We need to page Jen Cooper. <laughs> I know, because I, I was like, that's wild, because I was watching it on the stream, and I was like, but is there anything to be done about it? Like, there's no VAR. What can we do? Um, and so, fortunately, the assistant ref was like, hey, she had, like, four teammates around her. That's not the, a denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. It is a yellow, but um, – and, and so I think those two penalties, hard to tell from the Twitch stream, right? We had another kind of rough – Twitch experience where the 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 um, camper was field level for the first 15 minutes. I think it was only simply just because they hadn't risen the the camper riser. Um, yeah, we've had some tough moments trying to watch some of these games on Twitch this fall, and and I'm looking forward to them working some of that stuff out for next year because I I, I tweeted this. I said I, I if I had to analyze this game in like a written form and tell you exactly what happened, I would struggle. I know that, you know, Seattle fans felt really hard done by by the match. I know Portland fans thought those were obvious penalties. So it's it's hard it's hard for me to say. And then yeah, I thought that Cruz's <laughs> Cruz's shot was awesome. I think it just kind of hit hit Brooks's leg, and that you know I think that it was a very physical game, and it's tough to lose on two penalties. That's a rough way to lose a match. Yeah, for sure. Um, to your point earlier too about players coming back from injury and just being happy to get minutes. Um, Jasmine Spencer, we got to talk to her after the game. She said, my whole goal for the challenge cup and for the fall series, just get minutes. And she's, she was one of the better players. I think last night for the rain for me, I, I mean, Bethany Balser was doing Bethany Balser things and she was really, really threatening up top and in goal or at goal. Um, 
But I think that Jasmine Spencer and watching those two finally get the chance to play together because Spencer was out pretty much all of last year. I think OL Reign has something really good on their hands. They just have to figure out players around those two to like pair with them. I think Shirley Cruz is a good start too. Definitely. And I think I still, I'm still a big fan of Sofia Huerta. I think if she can get, she's, she moves so well. And I think that she's got a heck of a leg on her. And I think my whole thing with, with OL Reign um, this year, and this was a concern I actually have with Sky Blue as well, but Sky Blue's had a pretty good fall series is just that they were always going to have kind of a weird transitionary year, new, new coach, very different coach than the one they had before, um, putting a lot of pieces together, new ownership. Um, and I think the the tough thing for the rain is I'm not entirely sure what they're learning from this particular experience. I think it's it's hard when you have a pretty rough game against Portland in, in the first match of the fall series. You have something that you consider to be kind of a ref job in the second game against Portland. I'm not entirely sure what they're building here other than just evaluating, again, people, whether they should be starting, whether they should, you know, with their people that they need to bring in. But I would love for them to have a little bit of positive momentum going into the offseason. Otherwise, I think it's going to be a little bit more of a difficult project in 2021 as well. I think so, too. I think this is... In regard to Ben Cedi, I think it's one of those things, too, where he pretty much got a roster entirely handed to him, and he didn't know what to do. Like, he brought in Shirley Cruz because that's somebody he's familiar with. Right. And then the rest of it is just like, well, here's all of the players. that, And then a ton of players. I mean, Rain, it was amazing that they could even fill out a whole 18 last year at some points. So you have all these players coming back from injury with this new coach who hasn't even seen these players before. So I think there's so many different dynamics with the rain. And uh, I think that the the Challenge Cup in the fall series is a good measuring point for, for Reed Benstedia to figure out, okay, well, these are the players that I inherited that I like and that I want to keep. And then here's some that I brought on board. And here's what needs to um, fit together to make it, a, a perfect union or near perfect union, I guess. Um, but I mean, that's all I had. I don't, anything yeah, else I mean, NWSL that stood out to you this weekend? I'm trying to think other than obviously, obviously Portland's challenge cup and their fall series were very, I'm sure they have a lot of really good things to be really excited about in Portland right now. Um, they also had an opportunity to check some depth in Utah, and I think that that has worked to, to their advantage. They have better, they have a better understanding, I think, of their full roster right now. Um, and the other thing, too, for Portland is a thing that was discussed a lot in this offseason for them was this idea of kind of resetting the team culture. Like, they were, they were like, we got away from Portland Thorns soccer. We want to kind of get back to how it feels to be a thorn. And I think that if you even read Christine Sinclair's quotes from last night, I think they feel really good. And I think they haven't felt that way since maybe the, maybe right before the final in 2018. I think that mm-hmm. this has been kind of a dark period for them since then. And so um, I'm sure that for them, they're like, yes, we are on the right track to getting back to where we were um, before the end of 2018. And I think that that has to has to feel pretty good for that organization as well. Um, and yeah, I think we you talk momentum. Portland looks great. Houston looks good. Uh, Washington looks promising. 
I think you have this middle ground where you have these teams that are very talented, but they maybe didn't have everybody or they were using these games for something a little bit different in the middle. And then you still have teams maybe like um, Utah and Orlando who have some some deeper things to, to figure out next year. But um, I love the fall series. I love it. I think that it's so cool to get to really look at every single player on every roster and, and, and rate them. So um, I Yeah, I think it's been time. great. Yeah. I think it's been really good. And um, I was just looking because I was curious to what Utah has done in the fall series. Utah and OL Reign haven't won a game in the fall series yet. And they play each other uh, in the very last fall series match on Saturday at 8 o'clock Eastern. Yeah. Um, do you think someone wins or is it a draw? Oh, that's a really good question. I think both teams have the ability to to win that game. I do. Um where is it? Is it in, it's in Tacoma? Yeah, it's at Cheney. Um, oh, it just depends. I would love for someone to win, but I guess maybe not because then someone won't have one. Maybe it'd be better if it's a draw. <laughs> I don't know. Utah, Utah, <laughs> I, I like Utah. I like Utah's team. I think that they have some pieces again that they also have to put together. They obviously have had some deep upheaval behind the scenes um, during this time, but I'm a big Amy LaPelvet fan and I'm going to be honest. You know, I, I love a lot of players on that rain team, but I would love for her to, to end this series on a win as a as a head coach. So, as the, it's hard to admit that, but yeah, I guess it, <laughs> I guess that would be pretty cool to see. Whatever, um, I still would like to see the you know, rain will be fine. The rain will be great. They'll they'll come back next year and and just totally shock everyone, and maybe with a better camera angle this time. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> um, my fault, everyone. I forgot to put out the tweet to ask for questions, so um, we'll ask for them next week um, when the fall series is wrapping up. So be sure to send your questions using the hashtag EQZPod. Um, my fault. I'll take the blame on that one. Um, <laughs> but we'll be back next week. Thanks, Claire, for joining. It was great talking with you. Um, and we'll see you all for the next show. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.